All right. So, this week's Parsha is Parshas Chaye Sara. Recording in progress. Thank you. <laughs> it's always nice to be told uh, what's going on. If, if only we'd have that from God when we woke up. You're like, yikes. <laughs> yikes. No, not, not right now. <laughs> Give me a couple minutes. Give me a couple minutes. <laughs> Get a little bit of time. Yeah. Yeah, halavai. Halavai. When we had the Nevi'im, you know? Tell us where to go. But now you know what? The Mun was like a GPS, which is why we complained about it. We don't need people telling us where to go the whole day. It's, not a, it's a tough place to be. Yeah, it is. All right. So, Parshas Chayisara. Vayiyu Chayisara. Yeah. You want the fan off? Yeah. All right. I saw that from the, from the look. Some people. Should go off. All right. And it was the life of Sarah. Listen to this pasuk, you're going to be a little surprised. Meyashana, a hundred years. Ve'esrim shana, twenty years. Ve'sheva shanim, and seven years. Shnei chayisara, this was the years of Sarah's life. It sounds like a low part of a song, where somebody's trying to get a little, you know. These were the years of Sarah's life. A hundred years, twenty years, seven years. These were the years of Sarah's life. You're going back to, oh yeah, but like reminding us a little thing over here, right? So, but we know nothing's redundant in the Torah. There's nothing extra in the Torah. So, a few. Let's uh, mention two specific questions that jump out at us right away, and that is, first of all, the redundancy of Chayi Sarah, the life of Sarah, which, as we'll see in a moment, I'll show you the pasuk by Avram, uses a very similar expression where it doubles over the words of his life, and as well as the improper or seemingly improper grammar of the amount of years that she lived. Instead of writing that she lived for 127 years, the Pusik says she lived for 100 years, 20 years, and 7 years. So the words years here are also, uh, they, they also seem to be extra. Okay, so let's, uh, let's try to get into this. Um, so in our pasuk, like we just mentioned, says Chayisara twice. When it talks about the death of Avram Avinu, later on in Perak Chaf Hay, in chapter 25, verse 7, pasuk Zion, um, which is also a fascinating thing, and that is, you know, it discusses, afternoon, it discusses, you know, we talk about the death of Sarah. Avram dies this week's Parsha too. It's not, it's interesting that we call it Chai Sarah instead of like Chai Avram. Like she's like the, you know, she's like the focus over here. But when Avram dies, it says, Vayigva Vayamas, Avram expired and he passed away. Uh, Avram Beseva Taiva in good old age, Vayasef Al Amav, and he was, uh, he was gathered in to his people. And when it counts how old he was, the Pusik says, Ve'ela yemei shenei chaye Avram, and these were the years of Avram's life, asher chay, that he lived. These were the years of Avram's life that he lived. This is the Pusik right before, Pusik Zion, that it was ma'as shana, v'shivim shana, v'chamei shana, also very similar expression between the two of them. So there's many explanations amongst the commentators as to why it doubles over. One specific answer I want to mention over here is that the uh, the Svarim, the Svarim Akadoshim, quote the Zayar. I personally don't learn Zayar yet. I'm doing other stuff. But I, I, the, the Svarim Akadoshim quote the Zayar who says that um, there are people who are alive, but they're not really alive. Meaning they're alive, they're breathing, 
but they're not utilizing themselves well. Really, all we have in life is time. I was just learning with a Harusa this morning after Shachris, and we were going through a Gemara above Metziah. One of the things that came up was this concept, this idea, and it reminded me of something that um, my father, Zechariah and Levracha, uh, would, would uh, drill into me. And this is, I was probably in my adolescent years, 11 years, 12 years old, 13 years old. And at that point already, I was the youngest in the family. A lot of the older kids were out of the house. And my parents had more access to funds. Uh, so the, the way it worked was, basically was I always had one suit. I only wore a suit for Shabbos. I had one suit. It happened to be that my one suit was a lot of money. It was an expensive suit. But why was it expensive? Now my friends had two suits, three suits, four suits, whatever it was. I always had a very expensive suit without even knowing it at the time, but I, I didn't know from these things. But um, as I started becoming, going from adolescence to like teenage, 13, 14, I started knowing like brand names and getting into these things. I was noticing that I'm wearing, you know. And, what, and the reason for this was, is that on the corner right off Yeshiva Lane, on the corner of Mount Wilson Lane and Reiserstown Road, uh, they've since moved, but there was a men's clotheswear store called Gage. Gage, Gage, it was like a, a boutique clothing store on the corner. And um, it was right near our house. So my father would take me there. I, I'm, not a, I'm probably overestimating by saying that it took us five minutes to purchase a suit. I'm overestimating. We walked in. My father would say, please size up my son. And they would measure me. And they would put a suit on. He's like, yeah, you look good. Okay. And we're out. That was maximum. It was five minutes max. And... And, and that's how it was. That's how he bought me suits. That's how he bought me suits. It was not a conversation. It wasn't a thing. Um, things like Black Friday, the Sims Bash. Uh, it, it was non-existent. It did, I'm dating myself. It, it, non-existent. Non-existent. It wasn't, it wasn't a thing. And my sisters would like to go look for sales. It's a, it's a thing that you do, right? You go look for sales. And my father would say to them, and this is when it, everything started to click as to why he did what he did. And this is why I'm sharing it. My father said to them, some people spend their time saving money. I spend my money to save time. My time's too valuable. So for him, when he was able, of course, you, you don't, don't put yourself at the debt. But for him, there was a suit store on the corner. Your kid needs a suit. You go buy a suit. You go home. Your life is not about getting a better deal. Your life's about getting what you need, and go back to utilizing it appropriately. But we spend so much time, whether it's browsing online and this, and you know, things of that sort, where we're spending so much of time, which is so much, much more valuable than the $5 we might save at a different location. Not to waste money. Not what we're dealing with here. But sometimes we, we get lost in what, we're, what value we're really giving to our time. Should I be spending three hours? Yeah, I found a nice deal. It was $6 less. What could you have been doing with those two hours, three hours? Like, like you couldn't, maybe you could have put on a, a, a share, a podcast or something. You could have made a phone call, made somebody feel good. That's much more valuable than any sort of, of deal that you could have got. And he wouldn't let my sisters buy all these, all these sales. He would say, if you need it, go buy it. I don't want you waiting for Black Friday. That's not, I don't want you waiting in line and spending your time because, oh, something was $50 and now it's 35 if you needed it, go buy it for $50. And if you don't need it, don't buy it for 35 
your time is too valuable for these things. And the Zayar is pointing out from these psukim by Sarah and Avram, and that is, they lived, they utilized their time. That's why it says, she lived her life, her years were full. They were, they were vibrant. They, they had value to it. She, she, both Avram and Sarah used their, uh, used their time wisely and they were, they were present within, uh, within that moment. Rev, um, Rev Yaakov Maisha Katz, who's a Rebbe in the Mir Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael, so he says, you know, he was talking to Yeshiva Bakram. So he's speaking about davening with a minion and shachros and mincha and marav. And he was pointing out there's different ways to show up to davening. You know, you show up to daven when you're, you're grabbing a shachros and you're running through it. And meanwhile, minion was like really just something that like was in between something else. It's not like everything else is in between minion. It's like, oh yeah, I'm in the middle of working and you got to go get a minion. Okay, so let me, go, let me go daven or I'll stop for five minutes even if it's not with a minion and daven. Now I'm going back to work. So it's all about the work with the minions in between. He says, or is your day about davening and learning? And you know, in between, you got to go to work. You got to earn a living. But I'm, you know, my mind is, is going back to there. So a lot of it, a lot of the value is the, uh, the mindset that we, that we place ourselves in, not to go with the flow. And, and because this is really, for me personally, this is the society I feel like that I'm constantly in. And maybe many of us, are constantly in. We live in a society that kind of gets us just caught up in, in looking for a deal or looking for the next thing. And we have to learn, like, no, that's not what it is. It's not what it, life has, has too much value. So when this came up in Gemara, my Chavrusa actually told me, he's, he's a young entrepreneur, and he told me something fast. He said that one of the hip things now among CEOs as to when they, uh, how they determine when and where to place their times is you put, you put value on your time. You decide for yourself, what value am I worth per hour? I found that to be fascinating. What do you have worth per hour? And if it's not worth your time, you don't do it. You don't do that. For example, if my time is worth $30 per hour and something comes up and something doesn't come up, but I'm doing something that's not worth $30 per hour. I'm doing something, I'm worth $100 an hour. I'm doing something that's not worth $100 an hour. I'm not doing it. So if, if I really feel like my time has worth, put a number on it. He told me this is what he does. I found this to be interesting. Again, you need to personalize a lot of things because we'll say relationships are invaluable, right? Or making somebody feel good. Okay, good, so go do it. To, to, you know, to sit on a screen to look for a deal. I'm just going to pick on this specifically. Once we're picking on it, let's pick on it. Okay, let's, let's stick it. We're, we're, we're getting to that season. Don't tell anybody. Right? But we're, we're saying, for an hour, it's like, okay, well, I'm looking for a deal, but I just spent, if I'm worth $50 an hour, $30 an hour, Donna, I just spent $50 looking for a deal. Was that worth it? No. Right. Very often, it's going to be no. Was it, if my time's really worth that per hour, and I, so I'm, so you're, you're coming out on the losing end, but, he, he said, and I found this, I was like, yeah, I got to think about that also and how I prioritize my time and where I place it, put a number, say, hey, well, was, am, am, right now, am I involved in something? If I really feel I have this, this value, am I do, is this giving me the value? And if it's not, let somebody else do it or don't do it and, and stay away from it. It's a, it's a fascinating, uh, fascinating technique. He said he uses this very often, to, very often to determine 
what things in his business to personally get involved with or what he can give over to somebody else. He puts a value on himself, let's say, of $75 for the hour. And if he's going to be involved in something that could be done by somebody else for 25 he doesn't deal with it. He lets one of the employees do it who are getting paid $10 an hour or 25 Like, why should he put his time into this? He'll go on to something else. But to, you know, whether a person is in business or just, you know, living life, put a number and, and give it value and only use your time in a way where it's going, that, that value is going to be up to par. Fascinating idea. I just learned it this morning. And uh, very, very appropriate for our parsha. Shnei Chayisara, to give it life, to give it energy, to give each moment of our lives uh, value. Okay, now another beautiful answer that I, that I uh, came across is that uh, why it says these were the years of Sarah's life is because the Medrash tells us that Sarah died be, uh, due to the event that after the Akedah, after Avram brought Isaac on the altar, the Satan, Satan, came, came to her and showed her a picture of this. And she had a heart attack. And she died. That's, that, that's what ultimately brought about her death. Now, here's the question. The question is, I believe we may have discussed this um, maybe last year, but um, the, the question is, Shluchi mitzvah inon we say in Hebrew. A messenger of a mitzvah, anybody ever involved in a mitzvah will never get hurt from that. Now, what does hurt mean? Conversation in and of itself. We'll translate it, you're not going to lose out. You're not going to lose out. Shluchi mitzvah, a messenger of a mitzvah, is not going to lose out. Now, it seems from this story, Sarah lost out. She was given a vision of her husband about to slaughter her son. She had a heart attack. So Nebuch, look, from something, from a, a, a mitzvah, a commandment of God that was being performed, she passed away. So therefore, the Pesach lets us know that's not why she died. That was the, that was the call it in the medical field, cause of death. However, she died because Chaye Sarah. These were the years of her life. It was her time. It happened to be what led to it was that cause. Now, let's get into this. Why, is that, why does that have value? So, I don't know if I shared this uh, last year, but I'll share an incident that, uh, that took place in the Lakewood Yeshiva. Maybe I did. It's a great connection over here. But um, when I was learning in Rav Nassim Stein's Yeshiva in Lakewood, this is not the Lakewood Yeshiva that many people know. It's a much smaller Yeshiva. Um, so in BMG, in Beis Medrash Gavoa, the Lakewood Yeshiva, there was a young man who was attending a friend's engagement party in Deal, New Jersey. A friend's engagement party in Deal, New Jersey. My grandson's getting married there. Yeah, okay. All right. There you go. Yeah, it's supposed to be... Uh, yeah. And it's about a half-hour drive from Lakewood. And Night Seder started, I believe, at 8 o'clock. And it was 7.30. It was 7.30, and it was a half-hour drive. I'll turn this off. If I just from the fan, you're going to go from this. It's on heat. Not bad. All right, we'll see how it comes out. Um, so he looked at his watch, and he's like, I have a friend's engagement party. I've already been here for an hour. Should I stay here and just hang out, or should I go back to Yeshiva? And he decides he's going to go back to Yeshiva. And he drove back to Yeshiva, and he got there on time for Night Seder. A few minutes into Night Seder, and this does not have a happy ending, he, he just died in the base medrash. It was like 8.15, 8.30. So wild story. Young man, he just had a heart attack and that was it. There was nothing, it, it was over. And the story spread like wildfire about this 
young man, he must have been 25, 26, I don't recall how old he was, young man who passed away over a Gemara. And, you know, you, you think to yourself, like, it's, it could have been a young man who died at his friend's engagement party. Right? If he would have decided, let me hang out for another hour. But he made a it's it's a schus, it's a merit to pass away, so to speak, or for some at, at a time that you're involved in a mitzvah. Like he was involved in a mitzvah. Right? And he put it's a hush of a thing. It's a you know, they, they say when somebody passes away on Shabbos. It's a good sign. It's a beautiful sign. You go straight to Ganadin, everybody's in Ganadin. So you're straight there, you have home court advantage right away. Right? I'm there. What are you gonna do? Take me out? I don't know anything else, right? But no, but it's a, it's a, it's a special day. It's a, somebody passed away on Yom Kippur. It's a chush of a thing. It's a, you're Isaac B'mitzvah. You're, you're completely involved in a mitzvah. So the, we, we find there's times and places and situations that speak very positively. But to say, the Torah is letting us know, don't think for a moment that you know, Sarah passed away because the Satan showed this to her and really it's too bad she should have lived longer. No. The years of Sarah's life were 100 years, 20 years, 7 years. These were the years of Sarah's life. Don't look at the cause that the medical field is going to say, oh, she had a heart attack. No, no, no. It was her time. She was like to, to pass away while her family was involved, because her family was involved in a mitzvah. Yeah. I think there's a comfort in that. I'm just thinking about the Holocaust. And that was the time that Jews were being killed. That was the time. And that was the way Hashem wanted it. And that was their, that was their time. Yeah. Can we think of it like that or is or not? I don't know. You could, I personally, uh, I'm not ready for anything. So, but you could. You could, it's for sure. Listen, no one's ever shown up to heaven and God said, whoops. No, he doesn't say whoops. It's not like, what are you doing here? I, I wasn't expecting this. It doesn't happen. You know I mean? They're showing me that he's in control. There's a, there's, there's a plan. But to say, you know, to say anything else, I don't know. I'm not, I don't, I don't got big enough shoulders. I, I don't know. Know. Yeah. Sarah had a level So prophecy doesn't mean you know everything. Right. Prophets are told things that either Hashem feels it's important that they know, or it's important that they pass on to others. <coughs> but this was actually hidden from Sarah. This wasn't her test. It wasn't her test. It wasn't, wasn't her place to be in, uh, involved in it, which is why Avram didn't discuss with her. I think we had this conversation yet. Avram, Avram didn't share it with her because it, it was a test for him. He, he wasn't going to put her up against it. Right. Yeah. Don't know. That just seems like if she's got a level of prophecy. I mean, but, but again, prophecy is you. You can still you still only know what you're shown. You can Right. And this was coming from the Satan. It wasn't coming from a Kaddish Baruch Hu necessarily. Yeah. So Hashem certainly allowed this to happen. That's that's uh, that's certainly true. Okay. All right. Now, what's the deal with 100 years, 20 years, and 7 years? So Rashi's bothered by this. What's with these extra word years? And Rashi says they were all equal. They were all the same Latova. 
There's a few things Rashi Rashi she was as beautiful when she was 20 as she was by 7. A 7-year-old is more beautiful than a 20-year-old because as we know, beauty is really purity. That's where real beauty is. Beauty is not prettiness. It's not handsomeness. It's purity. It's an innocence that comes about through 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 anything. So says so she when she was 20 and she was fully mature, she had the same beauty, the same innocence as a seven-year-old, that when she was a hundred, it was that she had the beauty of what uh, of like she was when she was twenty. But Rashi says also, "Kul and shavu l'tayva." It was all equal for good. Now this is a fascinating <coughs> statement of Rashi because if you view good to be that it was great, like we use it, that's not true. Sarah did not live anything close to a great life. Things started taking a turn, you know, when when she was you know when she was in her nineties. Right now, things started like you know, you know, coming around. Okay, before then, fine, but we don't, you know, she was and this and that. But was it necessarily an easy life? You don't find that it was that it was uh, necessarily uh, such an easy life. What does it mean kulon shalom l'tayva? Because good doesn't mean good in a way that we want it to be. Good means that when she looked back at her life, she realized everything was ultimately good. Everything was good. I think you look back You're like listen If this is what I need This is what I need Which basically is Amunah bitachin It's Amunah It's trust It's bitachin It's reliance on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Everything is good Everything is good You look back And you see, and uh, you know Many of us Are only going to merit To see this From the world That's, uh, that's clear above But uh, ultimately Ultimately it's good I was sharing On Sunday morning In, in MLB This is also It's a tough Tough uh, thing to share But I, I think there's a I hope we take this correctly. There, there is an, an important point to mention here, and chas v'sholem, God forbid, that anything negative should come about, but there was an incident that I came across of a, uh, uh, an older Yid, he was well into his hundreds, who survived the Holocaust. And somebody, a- and somebody asked him the trick, everybody wants to know, somebody lives a very long life, lived into their hundreds, and eh? what's the trick? What's the trick? So usually what do you hear from them? Pack a day and a box of chocolates. <laughs> right? That's usually what it is. They're like, we don't do anything different. It just is. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it's like you don't get anything that's like too major. But th- this guy says, this guy said like this. He says, he says he thinks, yes, okay. He says he thinks that the reason why he's outlived everybody is because he never said why. He says most people ask why. So this is what he says. What's, what does this mean? This is his take. He says, when you ask Hashem why, and you, ask, you say, God, why? If you ask why enough, Hashem might give you your answer. So it's like, you really want to know? Come with me. <laughs> Come upstairs, I'll show you. I'll show you. He says, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> right? He's like, Hashem says, you really? I'll take you upstairs. I'll show you everything, right? When you look back upstairs, from upstairs, you look down. You're like, okay, now I get it. You know, you look back. Kul and Shalom Latayva. Everything was ultimately for the good. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you know, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was, was... I told Baruch Hashem, listen, I'm minding my own business. You do your thing. I'm not... I don't want to know. Just, you know, I'm, I'm doing fine over here. So that was... You know, okay, yeah, go ahead. Uh, something I heard... Whatever, long time back. When you're saying why me, like... I have a car crash. Why me? What did I do? I have a car crash. Because the other the wrong question. You should be saying, why not me? I'm such a sudden that I should not have a car crash. Say, why not me? Okay. We've all got... Okay. 
I would feel a little uh, let down about that. <laughs> Why not me? I feel like you deserve everything coming to you. I don't know how healthy that is. Yeah, so you know, one of my rabbis once told me, he said, um, we were discussing this, this thing of why, you know, wanting clarity. He said, you know, you can, he said, he said, you can ask why as long as you ask it by the good times too. You know, don't only say like why when things aren't good. He says, when, when Hashem wakes you up in the morning, you say, God, why? Well, you know, like, it's like a thank you. Like, why, why me? When Hashem lets you walk on your feet and Hashem lets you smell and He lets you talk, why me? If you're going to ask why me, like why am I zaycha to have such goodness, you can also ask why me by, by uh, the other thing. Okay, there's the, it, it, either way, either way, you know, the goal is to have this uh, recognition that it's HaKadosh Baruch Hu and, and, you know, it's, it, it all boils back down to Amun Bitachin. Yeah. Um, I've heard, you know, I just show up, Hashem does all the work. There you go. It's the easiest. I don't do nothing, you know? All right. All right. So that is why it says 100 years, 20 years, 7 years, and they were all good. Each one had, she, it was kind of consistent. And you might say it's not consistent. The answer is for Sarah's mind, it was the same. It was the same. Each stage of her life, everything that she went to, she had this, um, this beautiful approach. Okay. But Thomas Sarba Kiryas Arba he Sarah passed in Kiryas Arba. Another number of reasons why it was called Kiryas Arba. There were giants that lived there. Four giants. It could be because the four pairs that are buried there for tzaddikim that had their their um, brismila over there. And Avram came lispaid lisara to eulogize Sarah vilib kaisa and to cry over her. Avram Avram gets up. Now he gets into this whole. Uh, back and forth with, uh, he gets into a whole back and forth with uh, Ephron. Okay? Now, interestingly, Avram and Ephron are the, um, they're the antithesis of each other, uh, where Avram, Avram was all about speak a little and do a lot. Ephron, as we see from this, is a big talker, and he does a little. Okay? He initially says, you know, uh, I'll give it to you, don't worry about it. And Avram starts talking money, he says, fine, you know, and he charges. Uh, he charges an, uh, an exorbitant amount, tremendous amount of, uh, of money over here. So um, the Mepharshim explained, the commentators explain that this was really Avram Avinu's, you know, there's an opinion that Avram Avinu's test was having to interact with Ephraim. Some say the tenth and final test was the Akedah, was bring Isaac on the altar. There are those who say it was having to interact with Ephron and handle Ephron the way he did. And they explained, you might say, why is this such a big test? And to say it's the 10th one where ultimately he's showing Hashem that I'm completely given over to you and I'm completely connected to you. And the Bali Musr, the Musr leaders explained that, yeah, because Ephron in Midos was the exact opposite of everything that Avram stood for, Avram, after losing his partner, of so many years where many of us and human nature is to be in shock. Shock. There's trauma. It's, it's a traumatic event. And when very often when a person's in shock or in trauma, they change. Everything changes. Our actions, our reactions. We just like shut down. 
and you don't know what's going to happen next. And and as uh, um, who's a Victor Frankel, a psychologist, right? Mm-hmm. He says no such thing as a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. Mm-hmm. We think like, how am I supposed to react now when we lose somebody? Like, you're not supposed to react like a, a react how you want. There's no like normal way to react to a traumatic situation. What's it's whatever comes about. I share uh, uh, very often a beautiful thing. I believe uh, a beautiful concept. I believe we shared this in the book of Shemais by the Yamsuf, where throughout our travels in the desert, we were all together. We encamped differently. We had, each had our flags and we had our places, but it was only during Kriyas Yamsuf where actually there were walls that went up in between each tribe. We, were, we did not see each other. Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, right? There's 12 walls, there, there's walls dividing each tribe. And we went through... And it, you know, the Medrash talks about all the fruits that grew on there and all the miracles. We all the same, we all the same miracles happened for each of us, but we had to go through separately. And the reason given is because the Yamsuf particularly ended the ex- ended the the exile of Egypt for us. It was a very traumatic event, having to go through and then see the Egyptians, all our tormentors die. It was it was a major event, and every Shevet, each tribe with their Unique personality had to be willing to experience that on a very deep personal level. Instead, otherwise, Ruvain and all of its cohos and its personality would have been looking at Yosef. And Yosef's, you know, the tribe of Yosef, their personality is like, all right, this is really cool. This is wow. Amazing. You know? And the tribe of Ruvain is like, flipping. Like, hello, do you see what's happening over here? Yeah, and, and then you have... You have Dunn, who's, uh, I'm just making this up, right? Sheva Dunn is crying, uh, what's going to be? And then you have Sheva Yehuda, who's singing, uh, you know, the you know, the Chassidim on Yom Kippur. They're all, you know, they're, they're singing, wow, this is my ridiculous. And everybody's looking at each other, like, why are you acting so weird? This, this, is the time to, this is the time to be crying. And I was like, no, it's the time to dance. And I was like, no, it's the time to sing. And I was like, no, this is the time to cry. This is the time to be quiet. Why are everybody making so much noise? What's happening over here? Right? Which what happened when we were sitting Shiva for my parents, we had a lot of siblings sitting in the house together and one sister couldn't stop talking and another sister couldn't start talking and another brother couldn't stop crying and, other, and I'm telling jokes and, and everybody's, everybody, you know, everybody's doing their thing and it's like, it's like you know, and you could look at each other and be like, it's, it's so inappropriate. But everybody copes. Everybody copes with trauma differently. And everything's in the tire. The tire is letting us know when there's a traumatic event, when something unique is happening, that there's no normal reaction. However you react, there's no people say, is this, what am I supposed to react to? Whatever you feel. You're feeling. No. <laughs> what Hashem put into you? This, this, is, this is how you're allowed to react. This is what, this is what a, a, a person could be doing. So by Avram Avinu, this is how he, Avram with all his kohos, after losing Sarah, he's coming to Ephron, and I believe it's the Ram, um, um, I believe it's the Ramban. Somebody was trying to say this is the tenth test because in that moment of trauma, what Avram does is he goes over to Ephron, he starts his conversation. Ephron backstabs him, and Avram just bows down to him, and he calls him Adeni. He says, "My master," and he his midos remained impeccable, which means he was one with Hashem. He was one with everybody. He had this ingrained in him. He was consistent. And this was the last and final trial of his perfection. Where finally HaKadosh Baruch Hu gathered him in and made this commitment between him and all of his future descendants. And that's why, you know, we're Zaycha 
to we have the merit to to be from that and be part of and be part of that and have in our genes to be able to do that as well because of uh, because of this incident with uh, with Avram Avinu. Okay, now. So we said Avram bows down to him and he speaks to Ephron in front of everybody because Avram knows who he's dealing with. He doesn't have one, he can't have Ephron after saying, I didn't mean it, I did, 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 you know, and uh, some people, you can't trust with a handshake. So he had everybody there. And um, Avram says, please, can you please listen to me? Let me pay for you. And I want to bury my dead over there. Now the Gemara says that there's one of the ways, which is the most common way nowadays to get married. One of the ways to get married is with kesef, is with finances. Okay? Now how do you know a marriage union can be created with finances? Which is nowadays, we use this, what does that mean? You have a bride and groom standing in the chuppah, the, the groom puts a ring, generally it doesn't need to be a ring. That's a custom. Doesn't need to be a ring. He can give a one dollar bill. But the, the groom puts a ring on the bride's finger and he says, with this ring, I am getting married to you. What's happening in that moment, that acquisition, which is you don't, he doesn't own his wife, but he owns his wife's right to marriage now. She can't marry anybody else, but that's, that's what he's acquiring by her receiving that financial uh, entity, whatever it is, we'll call it a ring, that's the most custom thing, she says, okay, you put this on my finger, which means I'm acquiring it, I'm now giving over my rights to marriage for you. That's, that's what's happening. How do you know that creates a marriage? Who says, who says in the Torah that, that that should create a marriage? What's the source? So the source is the story of Ephraim. Because by the story of Ephraim, the Gemara tells us that it uses a word by purchasing the land, it uses the word Lakach uh, to take, which is kicha, to to take, make you can make an acquisition. You could take something, okay, and by marriage, by the laws of marriage, the Torah uses that same expression, okay, of kicha, of acquisition. So the same way you're you're acquiring by the field, you're acquiring by a marriage, says the Gemara. By the field, how did he acquire it? By offering money. So you see that marriage also works by money. Okay, that's the whole source. That's the source. Since it uses the same word of acquisition by the two places, and by marriage, it doesn't tell us how to acquire. But by the field, it tells us how he acquired. So we're going to compare the acquisition of land, of real estate, to, uh, to a marriage. Now, the obvious question is, like, why Ephraim? <laughs> like, you know, by, by Avram and Ephraim, if you want to really connect the cases, we hope most marriages aren't like Avram and Ephraim. Right, Avram's a good guy, and Ephron's a greedy guy. Yeah. So what? Yeah. Well, the, the acquisition with Ephron is a purchase, and with the wife, it's a partnership. Yeah. They purchase a what? You're you're asking a question. <clears throat> I am because you're using it in the same. One is yeah. to purchase. Yeah. The other is to acquire. But the purchase. Purchase is and acquires is, but they're both ownership. But one is. But you're saying the husband owns the wife. The husband, the husband owns the wife's right to marriage. The right. She cannot marry anybody else without his agreement right anymore. Yeah, she cannot marry anybody else unless he agrees to divorce her. So, so when a couple get engaged... Yeah, that's nothing. I mean, a, he gives her a bracelet or a ring or whatever. That's, that's a gift. 
gift. No, that's a gift. That's, that <laughs> that understanding has nothing to do with marriage. It's not as soon as they acquire anything the financial. It's knowing. It's like if if I were to give you a gift, you know that's a gift. It has nothing to do with a partnership or relationship. It's just a gift. But if you have somebody who walks, if your husband were to walk over to you, and which he did, and said, "I'm marrying you with this ring." So you're giving over, in your mind, you're giving over your rights to marriage. Now, once you're married, you can call the marriage a partnership, but ultimately he owns your right to marriage itself. Not you. To, to marriage. Not doesn't own you. No. Do you know why I'm saying? Because it's, it's yeah. the so, so let's yeah. bring the So let's bring this full circle here. Let's bring this full circle. The question is, why? It, it's, it's that it's intriguing that we're using this, a situation of Avram and Ephron who aren't necessarily, you know, a, a great shidduch, you know, uh, over here, but uh, to, to connect to, to a marriage. So what's the message? Everything ultimately has a message. So what's the message? So I saw from a Sefer Be'erbaim Chaim, he says a beautiful idea. He says, because at the end of the acquisition, what was Ephron thinking? Ephron's thinking, I'm loaded. What a deal. What a deal. Can you imagine? What a deal. Oh, I just got, you know what I got from this guy? 400 silver for land that's a what? A grave? Empty, deserted, rocky. I just ripped this guy off. I just got the steal of a deal. Avram Avina walks away like, hello, you know what I just got? I got the entrance to paradise. I got the burial place of Adam and Chava. I got the place I've always wanted. For what? For money? <laughs> money. <laughs> you know what I just got? I got Marzimach Pele. So everybody walked away from there feeling like, and in their mind truly, coming out on the, coming out, uh, having the, the better end of the deal. So I saw that this is, this is the goal as well within a relationship, uh, with, within a marriage that, yeah, you're going to have, a, sometimes you have negotiating tactics and then, but the goal is not to for one party to end up winning and one party losing at the end of the day. Ultimately, even when you have uh, a negotiation that goes on, the, the way to walk away at the end is everybody walking away feeling like they, I, 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 was, I was heard. I was taken care of. I'm walking away, you know, uh, I'm walking away satisfied. Can I have a question? Yeah. When the Torah talks about Eliezer and how he gave jewelry to Rivka, why does Hashem put that story in the Torah? What is that supposed to teach us as far as... Why is that there if we're supposed to learn about the acquisition from Ephraim and Avram? Again. What's, what's different about that transaction with Eliezer and Rivka? When he gives him the gifts and says... You know, I thought that's where we learned about engagement. <clears throat> yeah. I'm just wondering why the Torah goes to the trouble of, of telling that story over if we already learned something from this story. Oh, I got you. Because over there... You're, uh, What's the difference? Yeah. Linda's asking a great question. Like, we said we're connecting Ephron to marriage in our Parsha, as we'll see shortly, hopefully. <laughs> in, our, in our Parsha, we have a case of marriage where Eliezer himself is using jewels. The answer is because... In that pasuk, there's no verbiage telling us that this is how acquisitions are meant to be done. Mm-hmm. Over that part of the story, the Torah doesn't connect it at all to anything that's going to happen later on. 
So it doesn't tell us anything about an acquisition. It lets us know he gave her jewels and things of that sort. And ultimately that is how, how he got married. But the way for marriage nowadays needs to be learned out from, from the Xerah Shub. It's not hinting to anything in the future. Okay. All right. So, you know, let's get into this. Let's get into this Eliezer and this will take, uh, take us to the end. So there's a safer, Chaim uh, Shalter, who says a beautiful idea, and I want this. I'm going to show you. There's some fascinating stuff, and I don't know what the message is. I have to open this. I, I, I was learning through the safer, and I was like, "This is so incredible," but I don't know how to like w- 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 how to internalize this and how to apply this. So I need your help. All right. So here we go. And specifically, why this is important is because safer Bereshis, entire book of Bereshis, is called the Safer Hayashar. The book of the straight ones, which means every story is meant to teach us how to do good. We're supposed to take everything specifically from Bereshus. Okay, so the the Chibina Rav, Chibina Rav, his Talmidim asked him, um, what 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 do you look for in a shidduch in any relationship, what's the first thing you look for? So he famously responded, you have to look for three things, midos, midos, and midos. Those are, those are three things. That, that's what he, he famously uh, responded. Okay. So let's get into this story with Eliezer and going to search for Rivka. Eliezer learned by Avram Avinu for 65 years. Okay? Pretty much his entire life. He was, he was Avram Avinu's servant. He was called Zakan Beso. Zakan, Zakin means elder, but in the truth, Zakin means wise. Okay, Zakan Besa means he was the wise man of, of, of his house. Okay. Hamaishal Bechol Asherlai. He ruled over, he, Avram gave him his whole estate to, uh, to oversee. And Avram Avinu trusts Eliezer to go find a wife for Yitzchak. But before he makes him swear, makes him take an oath. Yeah, makes take an oath that he's going to get the get the wife from a specific place. Okay, now Avram Avinu already knew about Rivka because the Torah already taught, taught us that when when uh, Sarah died, it was told to Avram Avinu that Rivka was already born, his you know um, his great niece, and he uh, you know now she's three years old. That's why he's sending Eliezer. So he pretty much you know they, they have their eye on her already, and now Eliezer goes. And he merits to have Kfitza Saderach. Usually it was a journey that took three days. He made it all in one day. The next day by Mincha, he was already back by Avram Avinu. It says Yitzchak, it was the next day, Yitzchak was going out to David Mincha in the fields. And that's when Eliezer was coming back to Rivka. So Eliezer never missed a day learning by Avram Avinu. Like he left the day before to go get a wife. He had this, this short shrinking of the land. He was already back the next afternoon. And he was back in Avram Avinu's house. Okay. Now, Eliezer had a daughter. The Medrash says Eliezer had his eyes on Yitzchak. He thought Yitzchak was going to marry his daughter. He's the one. He's Avram's prime Talmud, prime student. And he's got this daughter. What a wonderful shidduch for Yitzchak. And you can imagine what happened. Right? Eliezer wants Yitzchak to marry his daughter. And Avram Avinu must have had a conversation. Sat down with Eliezer. He said, Eliezer, I know, I know what you're thinking. And I know what's going on. Uh, but uh, I'm sorry. Um, I know your daughter might be incredible, um, but I, I have a problem with her father. 
What's the problem with her father? Avram tells Eliezer, Ein You're from Canaan. You're cursed. A cursed person cannot combine with a blessed person. God already gave me the blessing. So your daughter might be great. The problem is she's your daughter. <laughs> right? She's your daughter. So therefore, I need you to take an oath that you're going to go to Aram Narayim and you're going to get a proper mechutan for me. You hear where this is going? He tells Eliezer, his student, you're cursed, so I can't do a shidduch with you. And I need you to go to Rivka's family and make a, sh- and, and make a shidduch. So you, you think Eliezer's in no rush. That's first of all, right? He's in no rush. And he finally shows up to Aram Narayim. It, the, the land shrinks for him. And this Choshev Mechutin, yeah, this father of Rivka, he's not good enough. Who's it going to be? Besuel and Lavan, both murderers, uh, tricksters, fraudsters, fakers. Yeah, but they're Baruch. They're blessed. Yeah, they're not descendants of Canaan, so therefore they've got better yichus. They got better yichus. Right. So you can do check her brother. Lavan's even yeah. The Shiloh who was worse, Besuel or Lavan? Most people say Besuel was uh, was even worse. What's Eliezer thinking over here? He's like, oh, I, I, you know, my Ali, uh, Avram. Oh, my daughter can't marry you because of me, and I'm your student, and I, I don't miss a day of learning Torah by you. And you want me to go out to this other family? But what does Eliezer do? He doesn't. He doesn't ask this question. Eliezer goes, and he's back the next day. He goes. He hustles. And he goes to the well, and he he doesn't he doesn't miss a day. And when they say yeah, what does Eliezer say? Uh, you know, uh, Baruch Hashem. Look, yeah, he says, "Oh, Baruch Hashem." You know, there's gonna, I'll, I'll be able to follow through on this. And therefore, since Eliezer had the merit of these beautiful midos, he and it's his merit that he brought together the patriarch and matriarch of Klal Yisrael. It was with his help that Bnei Yisrael come about. That's his. That's his reward. I need help. He didn't ask why. He didn't ask why. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. This is the story the way, I mean, this is the, call it a story. This is what happened. If we would be in Eliezer's shoes. I know, but he was of a level that he respected. But, okay, so he's on that level, but what's his reward? You, I, I would think if this is going to be a happy ending for Eliezer, like a happy ending to the story. Right, but if you want to reward him, so give him what he wanted. You know, make a, I don't know. So, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> I guess there's no other answer. It had to come from Rivka. It couldn't be his daughter, but like, you know, the, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the blueprint for all future Shaduchim. The blueprint for all future Shaduchim. So, yeah. craziness that goes on. Yeah, it's true, it's true. They, they, what I saw a beautiful, <laughs> this, it, this is uh, supposed to be funny, but I saw that this Sefer wrote, Forget who it's from. I saw this a few days ago. He wrote "Bederech Tzchois," which means in a way of laughter. He says, "This is why Eliezer had to leave Avram and come to Aram Narayim the same day." Imagine if he would have stopped overnight and heard about her family. Forget it. <laughs> Forget it. <laughs> the shidduch was not happening. <laughs> it's like chick chak. Go. We're not talking to nobody here. Where did we yeah. learn about that part that? That he says that you're you're cursed. You're from Canaan. You're cursed. When when he f- asks him to take an oath, 
When he asked him to take an oath. I, I have a question on that. Yeah. When Abraham uh, had his breasts, and as well as his son, it, all the men had the breasts, right? Whoever was willing, yeah. Well, if, if his, he, he wouldn't be learned, he, he did, so did Elazar not also become a part of the, of the covenant? It seems not. It seems not. <laughs> okay. So I'm just understanding, understand if he's a faithful, faithful person and servant, and he's learning. It wasn't his responsibility, but maybe I mean, uh, <coughs> you know, I don't know. If, the, the, you know, <coughs> in in this in this thing he did good. In this thing he certainly did good. I think it's just a fascinating storyline. Hashem's already decided who's who. Too. What it doesn't tell you is, is who his daughter wind up marrying. Maybe yeah, he married, true. His daughter may have married to marry. Really Somebody Choshev. I'm sure she did. I'm sure she did. Avram had a lot of students and Sarah had a lot of students. And we don't hear about, you know, right. uh, what their descendants happened. I'm sure they were great, wonderful people who just <laughs> weren't descendants, huh? She got fixed up with a top bucker. A top bucker. <laughs> a top bucker. All right. Very good. If anybody, just something to think about. Something to think about. All right. We'll hold it here for today. Good job, everybody. <laughs>